Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Mark. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 16. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 16. We've been going through for a while the Gospel Record of Mark, walking with Jesus Christ in His earthly ministry, as given by the account of Mark through the eyes of Peter the disciple. And now we reach the very end. Almost 50 messages by the time we reach tonight. Tonight we'll finish this off. But we've been walking through Jesus Christ's life to see as he's been teaching the people. Remember the gospel record of Mark shows Jesus Christ as a man of action. Always continue action. It pictures him as the perfect servant. But we can see today the victory that Jesus has. Where we left off before was almost sadness. Jesus dying on the cross and he was buried. And the people are boo-hooing and they're upset. But it is amazing throughout the gospel record of Mark that Jesus told him this is what's going to happen. But he also told him the rest of the story. That on the third day he would rise again and live forevermore. Now, if you don't mind, as we go to the gospel record of Mark chapter 16, let's see that third day. Notice with me, if you don't mind, and the gospel record of Mark chapter number 16. Notice with me in verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrightened. And he said unto them, Be not affrightened. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. As he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. For they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man. For they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week. That he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him. As they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive, had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven, and they sat at meat and abraded them 
with their unbelief and hardness of hearts, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the Gospel record of Mark chapter 16? The Gospel record of Mark chapter 16, and notice with me in verse 6, towards the middle, He is risen. Oh, what tremendous words those are. He is risen. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and together, and let's cover this idea of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, I'm just asking that you would give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would give us understanding as we cover this most important event in all of history and how it's affected us. But then we could also apply something within our Christian life because of this. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us. As for now, I'm asking you to Fill me with your precious spirit. I know in order to be filled with the spirit, I have to surrender myself, my desires, my wants, my ambitions, my goals. I set them aside so that way you can get your will accomplished and just use me as your vessel. Thank you for being a wonderful God that we can trust. And in your name we pray. Amen. What a wonderful event. Probably the most fascinating, the magnificent, the most important event of all of human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we know the crucifixion was very important. And it goes hand in hand. Oh, but this resurrection was so important. Let's read about the events as given to us in the gospel record of Mark. Now we understand that the other gospel records, John and Matthew and Luke, give more details on a lot of these things. And I may pull from them. But... The gospel record of Mark, remember that each one of them, the gospel record of Mark, the gospel record of Luke, the gospel record of John, the gospel record of Matthew, they all give the accounts from a different perspective. And there is a reason for the perspective. And for the gospel record of Mark, we're going to see towards the end, there's a reason why God highlighted these stories, these events, in the way that he did, because he's bringing them to an event. Something that has been mentioned as you've been tracing it through the gospel record of Mark. We've been telling you to highlight. We've been telling you to kind of mark that, how many times it was said. Now comes the end event. And we're going to apply it to our life. Especially since we have here mostly Christians, mostly people have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So normally when we preach a resurrection message, it's usually targeted for those who are not saved. Let me tell you that this message is for those that are saved. And an application because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want to show you is at the tomb. At the tomb. Notice with me in verse number 1. And when the Sabbath day was passed, so after what we would call Saturday was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome. So here are three ladies that had loved Jesus and they had followed after him. They had watched him at the cross. And now they are coming to the tomb. And they brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Now, why are they coming to anoint him? Because when someone died, decomposition would come in. According to the Jewish mind, that... Um, that decomposition began on the fourth day. So uh, three days a body can be technically raised and not have any decomposition. But on the fourth day, that's when it starts coming in. And so they are preparing to anoint his body so people could come and visit him. So that way they could visit the body and mourn. And they don't have to smell the decomposition of the body smell. 
So what they're coming here is they're expecting to find a body. They're not expecting to see a risen Savior. They're going to be surprised by all the events here. They are coming because they believe he is dead and he is still dead. And so they show up at the tomb. They want to honor the Lord that they love. They, the Jesus that they follow. They, they gave in their lives. They, some of them have given their sons. And they're coming to appreciate what Jesus has done within his life. Now, <laughs> as they go, verse number two. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. So the sun is starting to rise. So we're talking about approximately 5.30 in the morning. They're trying to come. The sun's getting ready to pop over the horizon. They're coming very early. They're going to anoint Jesus. They want to come while it's still cool in the day. And verse number three. And they said among themselves, who shall roll the stone away from them? Uh, the stone from the door and the sepulcher. Now that's an interesting question. Because they are showing a lot of bravery. Remember that the stone had been sealed by the Roman governor. Meaning that there was a seal on it that said, almost like an idea of a police tape, that anyone who breaks this seal is under the condemnation of death. Who, this is under the Roman protection. Also, if you remember that the chief priest had begged for a contingent of Roman soldiers to be guarding this tomb. Now, they've already bailed. And we could see that account later on that they're reporting and said, hey, we got knocked back and, and the stone is up there. But the ladies are showing great bravery. Now, they've showed great bravery before. When Jesus was dying on the cross, where was the men? Off crying and hiding. Where was the ladies? They were afar off, but they were watching because they wanted to see where the body was. And the morning... Of the resurrection on the third day after the Sabbath. It's now legal for them to go according to Hebrew law. To go and see the sepulcher. Because they're not doing any work. They're coming to anoint the body. Who is coming? Not the men. It's the ladies that are showing great bravery. Going through even though there's a threat of Roman soldiers. Now they may not have known that Roman soldiers might have been there. But they were there. But they, the ladies are there. Not the men. And they're coming to honor the body of Jesus Christ. And so they ask the question, who's going to roll this stone away? Remember that there was a huge stone. Now, in these tombs that they had, they had basically a little ledge that would allow this heavy stone to be rolled. But it was still heavy. It weighed a couple tons. And so the ladies are like, we're coming here by faith. We don't know who's going to roll the stone away. We can't do it. It's too heavy. And so imagine their surprise. They get there. And the stone has moved away. What they're thinking is like, look, it's answered prayer. Someone opened it up for us so we can go. We don't have to worry about trying to find someone to open this up. Now again, they're expecting to find a dead body. What do they find instead of a dead body? Verse number four. And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side. Now notice as it describes this young man. He's clothed in a long white garment. Now this word garment here is carrying the idea that it's a long flowing stately robe that reached to the feet and would sweep to the ground. Now the appearance of this man the Bible is describing is that his garment is, is amazing. It's white and it's not just like Clorox bleach white. It's like a glowing white. 
And they look at him before he says anything, before they acknowledge him. There's such a glow about him, the way that he's sitting there, his clothes, it's glowing. They were frightened, they were scared. We're expecting to find the body of the, the master that we loved. And instead, you have this man here, this young man, who's got a glow about them. Now, of course, we understand this is an angel that is there. And God, aren't you glad that Jesus left? He folded his clothes. A different passage speaks about that. And he takes off. But God says, I know that there's some people who are going to show up at the tomb. Let's let them know what's going to happen. And so this angel gives them a message. Verse number 6. And he saith unto them, Be not affrightened. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. So here's this angel that speaks to them and says, guess what? He's not here. He's risen. Now that's news to them. That shouldn't be because he told them what was going to happen. He's not here. Look. Look. This is where he laid at. He's not here. He's risen. Go tell everyone. And you make sure you tell Peter too. Peter needed the encouragement. You go tell the disciples. He's going to see you later on today. Look forward to it. And they sent him off. Verse number 8. And they went out quickly and fled to the sepulcher. For they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now notice this. We expected them to come out and say, Woohoo! He's alive! But that's not what happened. They didn't say anything to anyone. That's going to carry more of the narrative of what we're going to hit. But they received this great news, and they were scared. They didn't know how to process this information. I meant, think about this. How we, We're looking at things. We know the Bible. We have heard all of our life that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. But that's Jesus. What if your loved one had just died? And three days later someone said, guess what? They're alive. Would you believe them? Why not? Because resurrection of the dead doesn't happen. It's not an everyday occurrence. We don't talk about, well, you know, last week my uncle died and, you know, I had lunch with him today. It doesn't happen. This is a supernatural event that happened because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lives. How do you process this information? We'll cover more of that in a second. But let me hit a second thing here. The importance of the resurrection. The importance of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was God. It proved that Jesus was God. Because only God could raise himself from the dead. Jesus was God. Remember, Jesus is God robed in flesh. He came and dwelt among us, lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, went through the same trials. Then he died to pay the price that you and I owed him. What a wonderful thing. The second thing that 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved is that it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. It's the receipt. The Bible says very clearly in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, something had to die. Jesus Christ died for your sins and for mine. To prove that those sins had been paid for, Jesus Christ arose from the grave. Jesus didn't have to die for his own sins. He died for your sins and mine. How else would we know that the sins would be paid for? Let's say that you owed God a debt. And someone said, you know what? I don't want you to die. I'll die for you. And so they die for you. And if they didn't come back, how would you know that that payment was made? How would you know that God had accepted that? How do you know they didn't have to die for their own sins? This was the proof. This was the receipt. This was the evidence that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. This is why the resurrection is so important to us. You know, it's easy to say someone died for me and died on my behalf. But how would you know it really took? Unless you had a supernatural evidence from God, which was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why for us as Christians, this is such a big deal. That's why we almost make a holiday out of it. We have Resurrection Sunday, where we put aside time to remember specifically. Now, of course, in the past, people say, I don't know what's so special about Resurrection Sunday with Pastor Bachhaus, because every message he has is about the resurrection. We make most of Jesus. We always want to point to Jesus. It should be something that we're thinking about all the time of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it shouldn't get old. It should be special. Jesus died for us and He rose again. And God is satisfied. The Bible word for that is propitiation. That's a big word. That word propitiation means the appeasement of God's wrath. That God is no longer angry for our sins. He is satisfied. The payment has been made. That is the importance of the resurrection. This is why for us, we're not just saying that Jesus died and that's it. We also have to add to it the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, that is part of the gospel. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 explains the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we tell people about salvation, we also have to tell them about a risen Savior. It's not enough that He died for them. It's also that He rose for them to prove the payment. To prove that it's done. That is what sets aside the, uh, the Bible version of events than any other religion. Is that we serve a risen Savior. You can go to the tomb of Confucius. You could go to the grave of Muhammad. You could see where Joseph Smith was buried. But Jesus, he has an empty tomb. We serve a risen Savior. No one else can claim that. No one else can say that. Our Savior lives. How can we expect answer to prayer? Because my Savior lives. How do I know He cares for me? Because my Savior lives. I can talk to Him. I can spend time with Him. We have a personal relationship because of a risen Savior. We don't have to go to a grave and hope that the ground it takes and absorbs our prayer and our tears. We can talk to a real being, a real person who's alive today. 
This is the importance of the resurrection. Our God is alive. And is alive forevermore. This is the confidence we have. This is the difference maker of everything we have. Is the risen Savior. Now as we go back to the narrative of the gospel record of Mark. Remember that each gospel record is placing an emphasis on a certain thing. For the gospel record of Mark, Jesus has told them over and over, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to die, die, but on the third day I'm arose again. Over and over. And the disciples ignored him. They would say, well, Jesus, that's good and all. Who's going to be the best? And we have the expression in the gospel record of Mark that Jesus sighed deeply. <sighs> Come on, guys. Aren't you listening to what I said? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard you. But who's going to be the greatest? Over and over, he would explain, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rose again. This is important. There's going to be a test on this. And they failed the test. All of them. Which brings us to the emphasis that God is placing here. And it's, isn't it interesting? Normally we read through here and say, Oh, it's the resurrection account. Look at everything that's going on. And yet in the midst of the greatest miracle, the greatest people in all the world failed the test. Now if the disciples who are close to Jesus failed the test, how much of a temptation is us to doubt the miracle power of God. Brings me to the third thing here. They believed them not. They believed them not. Now, we start off with a passage of these ladies that are going to the tomb. Why are they going to the tomb? Because they think they're going to anoint the body of Jesus. They start praying, who's going to open it up? And they arrive, look, God answered our prayer, it's open. They step inside, and instead of seeing the body of Jesus, there's an angel there. And the angel says, guess what? He is risen, he is not here, behold, look. Now go tell the disciples, tell Peter. And in verse 8, they told no one. They disobeyed, even though an angel told them this good news. Even though they were in the tomb, they still did not believe Jesus was risen. And because they were afraid, they didn't tell anyone. It didn't matter who brought the reports. They had trouble believing. Even after all the teaching that Jesus had, they still didn't believe. Notice as the gospel record of Mark gives small snippets of Who's all told and how they reacted. The Bible expands on it more in different passages. Notice the first one that is dealt with. Verse number 9. And when Jesus was risen early in the first day of the week. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. Out of whom he had cast seven devils. So here's this lady. That Jesus had cast out seven devils. And after that she followed after him. She was already at the tomb. The angel spoke to her. And she didn't tell anybody. She still didn't believe. The gospel record of John expands on this account more with Mary Magdalene. But Mary Magdalene didn't believe the angel. Imagine that. I mean, again, we go through this narrative and we're almost read it so fast that we think everyone's rejoicing right away. 
But Mary didn't believe him. The gospel record of John goes to this event that she was actually weeping in tears after this because she didn't believe the angel. And she's weeping in tears. Where's his body? Where they put his body? I wonder who stole his body. After the angel told him, she goes and starts crying. Gospel record of John. Look it up later. And Jesus had to show up to her and say, Mary! Hey, Mary! Jesus! Look at it. He actually had to call her name and get her attention. Before she believed. She didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Even when an angel, she didn't believe the angel's report. And so she didn't tell anybody. Jesus had to go stop. She became the first person. Mary! I'm alive. Go tell everyone. So notice what happens when Jesus, verse number 9, uh, verse number 10. And when she went and told them that had been with him, the disciples, as they mourned and wept. So she comes the third day. She finally sees Jesus. She didn't believe herself until Jesus got her attention. She goes to tell the disciples. When she goes in there, what are they doing? They're still weeping and mourning. Peter included, crying like babies. We've given up our life. Our life is ruined. We gave it up three and a half years and nothing to show for it. We gave up our business. We gave up everything. Now he's dead. Woe is me. This is so horrible. The worst thing ever happened. Why? They're mourning. They're weeping. Grown men. Peter, big huge fisherman, crying like a little girl. By the way, there's nothing wrong with crying like a little girl. Mary comes in and finds them all crying. In verse number 11, And they, when they had heard that he was alive, and had been seen of her, believed not. Mary comes in and says, Hey, you won't believe that Jesus came and talked to me. Peter, Peter, I saw an angel before and I didn't believe him. So an angel said he was alive and then Jesus said, And he looked at her. Said she's lost it. She's gone crazy. And they didn't believe her. And they went back to crying. And weeping. You could see that account of Mary again. In the gospel record of John. What else happens? Verse number 11, or 13. And they went and told it to the resident. Uh, sorry verse number 12. And after that he. That's Jesus appeared in another form. Unto two of them as they walked. And went into the country. Now this account is found in Luke chapter 24. With the two disciples walking to the road of Aramaeus. And so here's what happens. They start walking and they're talking amongst themselves. And just crying and throwing a pity party and horrible me. And Jesus pops up and disguises himself. They don't know it's Jesus. And he comes up and says, hey, why are you crying? What's so upset? And they're like, haven't you heard the news? Are you a far country? That we follow the Jesus of Nazareth and that he died and... They told him that he was going to rise again the third day. And some people said that he's arised. But we don't believe him. And they're having a big boo-hoo party. If you go to that account in 24. It says we heard them say that he's alive. But we don't believe them. And so Jesus said. You know let me tell you some things. And it said beginning at Moses. He took the scriptures. And expounded on them. And showed them himself. From the scriptures. On the road to Aramaeus, 12 miles out, he just starts telling them all about Jesus. You know, 
Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. This is me. And Genesis chapter 2. And he goes up there. And the book of Moses. When Moses spoke about the great prophet. That was Jesus. As you go through the tabernacle. Let me tell you. That was Jesus. It was pointing to Jesus. Hey. It was Jesus that was there. As you walk through. Hey. You want to talk about the three men that walk through fire? The third man. and The fourth man in there. That was Jesus. And he goes through and begins to expound the scriptures. And then they don't realize it's Jesus until afterwards. And then they start talking about, man, when he started preaching the Bible, how our heart burned inside of it because of the preaching of the Bible. Hey, you know what? I think that was Jesus. And they went and home. they ran back to Jerusalem and told the disciples and said, hey, it's Jesus. And they didn't believe him. Notice with me, verse 13. And they went and told it unto the residue. Neither believed they, the disciples, them. So an angel comes. He is not here. He is risen. I don't believe you. Where's his body? Mary, I'm here. Jesus? Jesus! Jesus is alive. What's wrong with Mary? Two disciples. It's so horrible. Jesus died, but they said he's arise, but we don't believe him. Jesus starts saying, let me tell you all about this. And begins to, oh, I want to be there. I want to check out that DVD up in heaven. Everything that Jesus taught about himself. And they finally say, you know what? I think it was Jesus. And they run back from Aramaeus back to Jerusalem. And they tell him, Jesus was there. He walked with us. He told us all. It was wonderful. What's wrong with these guys? Jesus is dead. Don't you know Jesus is dead? He can't be alive. He can't be alive. And time and time, it didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter who the messenger was. The best people in the world did not believe him. The greatest miracle to ever happen. The most important thing. The thing that was told to them in their face by Jesus, by God, over and over. They did not and they would not. Not believe him. Imagine this. And these are people that were with Jesus. They watched his miracles. They saw him call Lazarus out of the grave. And they would not believe. Notice verse 14. Afterward, so after all of this, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat to meet. And upbraided them. Now we'll pause there. Afterward they, they appeared unto the eleven as they sat down to the meat. The gospel record of John goes to this story. That they're sitting in the upper chamber and they're like, it's so horrible. Jesus is supposed to have And Jesus walks to the wall and says, hey boys, what's up? And they look at him and they're all frightened. And he sits down and eats with them. You say, why was it so important they ate with him? Because when he disappeared again, they could say, look, Jesus is here. Here's his teeth marks in the apple. Here's the fish that he ate. Here's proof he was here. And if you remember, Thomas wasn't there. And they told Thomas, Jesus is here. And he says, I won't believe it until I touch the nail prints in his hand, reach my hand in his side. That's an example. We, we give a hard time for Thomas, but all of them that were that way. Thomas was their normal reaction. They were just so excited because he was just there. Thomas, you missed it. Later on, Jesus showed up, and of course, Thomas admitted, he says, you're my Lord and my God. And Jesus, of course, said, hey, you guys wouldn't believe me until you saw me. Blessed be those who never saw me, but yet believe. 
But think about this. It's not just Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap. All of them. All of them. Refuse to believe the greatest thing that ever happened in history. They refuse to believe Jesus. Even though he told them time and time and time and time again. We have many times recorded in the Bible. Imagine how many times was not recorded. That he told them. But notice in verse 14. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat to meet. And abraded them. That means he yelled at them. With their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So one last time Jesus gets to yell at his disciples. The seventh graders. They failed the test. He said there's going to be a quiz on this. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. That happened. I'm going to be arrested. That happened. They're going to put me to death. That happened. And guess what? I'm going to rise again. Well, you'd almost think if this was true, this was true, this was true, this was true, then the last should be true. But instead, they're crying like babies. And saying, and they wouldn't believe even though people told them until Jesus showed up and said, look, I'm here. And Jesus yelled at them because they should have believed. Now, it would be one thing if nobody told them. But here they were told by Mary they didn't believe. They were told by the disciples of Aramaeus, and they didn't believe. They had many people who gave them the angel. That's already three accounts. And they would not believe any of them. Why wouldn't they believe? Now, this is the key. Remember, this is a message to Christians now. Why wouldn't the Christians who walked with God, why wouldn't they believe? Verse 14, and afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat to meet and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. If you go through the gospel record of Mark, you could see this phrase hardness of heart appear many times. And Jesus gave this and we've given the explanation of hardness of hearts, but let's give it again. How does someone have hardness of heart? It's when we disobey what God has given to us. That when the Bible is given to us and we choose not to decide to follow it, our heart hardens a bit more. And then a bit more. And a bit more. You know what obedience does? It shows that we believe God. You know what disbelief does? It shows that we don't believe God. And when we don't obey, and we don't obey, and we don't obey, we get to the place where we don't believe that God can do miracles. When we refuse to obey, we get to the place where we don't believe God can answer prayers. When we disobey God, we have a hard time believing that God can do what He said He was going to do. So when we come to our theme this year, with God... Everything is possible. You know how you believe that? When you're willing to obey everything that he's given you to do. If you have a hard time believing that, it is because there's something in your life that you're refusing to submit and obey God on. It's just as simple as that. When Jesus came and yelled at them, abraded them, rebuked them because of their hardness of hearts, he's telling them because you refuse to obey This is why you have a hard time believing. So how do we apply this? Well, we expect God to do big things. How am I going to get to the place where I can believe that God can take care of my finances? 
if I obey? How can I believe that God could save someone who's not saved and doesn't want to listen to the gospel if I obey? How can I believe that God can fix my no good husband if you obey? How can God bring revival? I don't think revival can come. Then you're not obeying. The reason why we doubt God, we doubt His miracles, we doubt what God can do is because there's disobedience in our life somewhere. Why was it that the disciples could not take Jesus at His word and believe what He said? Because there was disobedience. Even when people told them, Jesus is alive, just like he said. Why didn't they believe him? Because there was disobedience in their life, which caused a hardness to their heart and made it where they could not believe God and his word. Again, this is one of the themes that are underlying in the gospel record of Mark. You'll see this where Jesus yells at his disciples for their hardness of heart. He's not talking necessarily to all those other people. If you trace all the times he uses hardness of heart. In fact it was such a big deal. That one of the tags I put in all the sermons. For the gospel record of Mark. Is hardness of heart. You can almost go to the website. Look up hardness of hearts. And see all the messages where that's dealt with. There's quite a few of them now. In the gospel record of Mark. Where did it come from? Disobedience. And because they disobeyed. They could not trust God in his word. If we believe that all things are possible, you know how you get to that stage? It's not for the idea that says, all right, I'm going to believe. Come on, come on. No, it comes with obedience. If you obey God, then you can believe that God can do all these other things. It is your faith that it's dependent on. Remember, faith always produces action. By the way, where does faith come from? The book of Romans chapter 10 verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That if you obey the Bible, you get more faith. And you obey more of the Bible, you get more faith. And obey more of the Bible, you have more faith. Until you get to the place where you're crazy enough to believe the Bible's true and that God could do anything. You see how important obedience is to our faith? Why is it that we have a hard time believing the impossible? Because we're having a hard time obeying God's word. This is how Jesus ties them together. This isn't just the preacher making imaginary things. This is what Jesus is tying. Their disobedience has brought back a hardness of hearts. And because their hearts are hardened, they would not believe God, even though it was told to him it was true. God can do some amazing things. He can do more than we can imagine. With God, all things are possible. Where are those impossible things going to come from? As we faith God. Where does this faith in God come from? As we're obedient to God in everything. If God gives you something small, obey the something small. If he gives you something big, obey something big. Just decide in your mind that whatever God tells me, I'm going to say yes to. And you'll have no problems obeying or believing that God can do the impossible with God all things are possible again most of us have never paid attention to this narrative of how many people did not believe Jesus and how it's mentioned in all the gospel records and Jesus ties it up to a knot for us 
Why did they have a hard time believing? Because of the hardness of hearts. He's already explained before. Where does the hardness of hearts come from? Disobedience to him. For us, we need to see impossible things done. How can a small church like this affect the world? By the way, it can. You say, but that doesn't seem possible. Yes, but let me tell you, it can be. And how is it going to be done? Is if we make a decision, we're going to obey God in every little We've been talking about authority lately. So if the pastor has given you something that's not illegal, immoral, and biblical, you need to do your best to try to obey it. You say, it doesn't make sense. Put me to the test. God will not ever disobey or never punish someone for obeying authority as you obey unto him. All right, so the pastor said this, and it's totally crazy to me, but I'm going to put it to the test. I believe that he's trying to follow God. And I believe he's trying to do what's best. And it doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to go just take him by his word. As you obey, your heart is able to believe more things from miracles. This is as simple as it is. It's just as simple as obeying what God's given us to do. Obeying the leadership that God has given to us. All right, I may not trust my pastor, but can I trust God? And if my pastor is following after God then I could trust that God's leading him the way you go. And if he's not going the way, then I could trust that God will, of course, correct him. Can I trust God? This is the problem the disciples had, is they had a hard time trusting God enough to obey. Because they didn't obey, they had a hardness of hearts. Because of the hardness of hearts, they could not lie, no longer believe God. And it starts to circle out. Why is it that some people who were pastors are writing books about how I turned away from God and God's not real. Disbelief. Coming from disobedience. They stopped obeying God. And now they can't believe God. And now their hearts are hardened. So they can't trust the other miracles of God. And down and down it goes. If we believe that God could do all things. Then it's going to be followed by our obedience. I'm going to trust God. Step out. And I could trust him for more. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.